Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Hey, hey, the Democrats took the House. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Wow. You know, it's kind of one of those good news, bad news scenarios or just amazing news. And, you know, still got a lot of work to do news. People who came out and voted for United States senators. There's an interesting op ed in the in the Washington Post about this right now, about in Europe, the head of the German parliament actually said You guys have the most unusual electoral system or words to that effect, because in Europe, they were just looking at the vote totals. Right. I mean, you know, in Germany, if somebody gets 10 million more votes than somebody else, they have, you know, the equivalent number of seats. If they get, say, they get, you know, 20 percent more votes, they get 20 percent more members of parliament. Not how it works here in the United States. So about 12 million more people voted for a Democratic senator than voted for a Republican senator. So you would think that the Senate would be run by Democrats, right? No, not so much. And this, a lot of this goes back to strategy sessions that were happening in the Reagan era in the mid-70s, which is pre-Reagan, of course, but in the mid-70s, these think tanks, these highly politicized think tanks that were created out of the Powell memo, started looking around the country and saying, okay, where is it inexpensive for us to nail down a United States senator and a governor forever? And, you know, you've got low population states like Oklahoma and Wyoming. Let's go into those states and, you know, let's have our buddies, you know, buy up the radio and TV stations. And let's just let's pour a lot of, quote, cultural content into those states and flip them red. These a lot of these were states that were Democratic right up until the 1980s. I mean, for decades. So, you know, we've got this bizarre situation. It was gerrymandering of the states that the founders did to satisfy the slave states by and large. You know, yeah, Delaware was yelling, but it was really the slave states who were upset about, you know, the population might determine how many senators you get. So, you know, the Republicans control the Senate, even though they lost the Senate by 12 million, roughly a little over 11 million votes last night. In the House of Representatives, about three, over three million more people voted for members of the House of Representatives for Democrats than for Republicans. And in fact, the Democrats took the House, although some really great gerrymandering stuff. The Florida race, Andrew Gillum conceded. In my opinion, he shouldn't have. Bill Nelson, who's running for the Senate from Florida, said, no, I'm not going to concede. And in fact, I mean, voter suppression was alive and well. Rick Scott had thrown or his secretary of state had thrown, you know, millions of people off the ballot in the last four years. And so there's probably... I mean, nobody knows, right? The news media are not asking the secretaries of state and the secretaries of state are not publicizing how many provisional ballots there are. Provisional ballots are ballots where if you've been purged, you have to cast a provisional ballot. Unless, of course, you're going to Georgia State University and you're black, in which case you were simply told that you had to cast a provisional ballot yesterday. No explanation. Seriously. Which is why Stacey Abrams is saying, you know, I'm not going to concede. I mean, Kemp's lead is only 68,000 votes. And we know that just in the last year, he purged almost a half a million voters. 
And so she's saying, typically in the past, what they've always said is not until the absentee votes are counted, right? Because the absentee votes are instantly counted, or at least they used to be instantly counted. Now the Republicans want to do this absolute exact match with the signature on file versus the signature where you sign the envelope when you mail in your absentee ballot. So they're rejecting a lot of them. And in fact, I mean, you know, it's, it's just amazing how many actually that is happening to. So, so that's what's going on there. And frankly, Beto O'Rourke should have said the same thing. You know, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, he had millions of voters purged over the last couple of years in Texas. How many provisional ballots are there? When John Kerry gave up in Ohio in 2004, there were 30, 40,000 more absentee ballots that hadn't even been opened. And we don't know how many provisional ballots there were. And Ohio's been suppressing the vote forever. Now, provisional ballots take a lot longer to count because, you know, people have to actually come to the Secretary of State's office and show their ID and say, yes, I'm really me, and please re-register me. You shouldn't have purged me. You're guilty until proven innocent, right? Until you prove yourself innocent, which is bizarre, but that's how the Republicans set it up. But I think it's spectacular what Stacey Abrams is doing, and we'll see how it plays out. A lot of real positive things. We have the first Native American woman, Kansas's Sharice Davids, actually two of them. Deb Halland, I believe it's Halland, H-A-A-L-A-N-D in New Mexico. Two Native American women, first time ever. We have two Muslim women in Congress. The two Muslims are Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, I hope I'm not mispronouncing, from Michigan and Minnesota, respectively. And Omar, by the way, is, I believe she's Somali. Uh, she's an immigrant to the United States. So she says, you know, she made the joke last night, something to the effect of, you know, the Republicans say the immigrants are coming to America to wreak terror or something. She said, actually, you know, we're coming to America to run for Congress, to go to Congress. It's like, yeah. In uh, neither Massachusetts nor Connecticut, this is from a list over the Daily Kos, which is really nice and tight. Uh, neither Massachusetts nor Connecticut have ever had a black woman in Congress. And now both states will. Jonna Hayes in Connecticut and Ayanna Presley in Massachusetts will be representing those states, black women. Jared Polis in Colorado, he's not only the state's first Jewish governor, he's also the state's first openly gay governor. I mean, that's amazing and cool. You know, keep in mind, Colorado was one of the battleground states, what, six, eight years ago, maybe 10 years ago, around gay marriage. And now they've got a gay governor. Texas sent their first Latina candidate to the House. Actually, candidates is two of them, Veronica Escobar and Sylvia Garcia. The youngest woman ever elected to the House of Representatives ever in the history of the United States, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, 29 years old. Uh, Letitia James, the first black woman elected statewide in New York, and the first black attorney general, which is the statewide office that she won. Uh, New Mexico elected its first Latina governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham. So a lot going there. At the state level, the Democratic Socialists of America are celebrating. Mike Sylvester won in Maine. These are all state legislatures. Uh, in Maryland, it was Gabriel Acevedo and Vaughn Stewart. In New York, it was Julia Salazar. And in Pennsylvania, Summer Lee, Sarah Imerato, and Elizabeth Fiedler all won state legislature positions. So DSA is growing. The new chairs of the House Intel Committee, the new chair of the House Intel Committee will be Adam Schiff, who really, you know, he's one of those rare Democrats who really knows how to work the media. And he has a really good relationship with uh, MSNBC. And that's going to be interesting. Maxine Waters is going to be running financial services. So she's going to be able to look into what's going on with all this, the CFPB and Mick Mulvaney and all this stuff that's going on that Carl Frisch has been yelling about for years. Elijah Cummings is going to be the uh, chair of the Oversight Committee. Oh, you know, looking at who's doing bad things, you know, who's naughty and nice. The Judiciary Committee chair is going to be Jerry Nadler from New York. And, of course, Nancy Pelosi will be Speaker of the House. Funny cartoon up at the top of DU this morning. It's uh, Trump shaking hands with Pelosi, an old, you know, file photo. And the talk balloons, you know, the cartoon balloons. She's saying, hello, Mr. President. Or he's saying, hello, Nancy. Well, you know, it's nice to see you. And, and she's saying something like, uh, good luck. You know, it's pretty obscene, so I'm going to clean it up a little. Good luck, Buster. <laughs> You're up blank creek here, and I would add without a paddle. Um, Michigan passed legal recreational weed, as did two other states. I've got to find my list here. And they ended gerrymandering. This is going to flip Michigan blue. And three other states did that. 
and uh, same-day registration, ease of voting, lots of, lots of great stuff. Plus, they elected a Democratic governor. Here's the piece. Europeans woke up wondering what's going on here. More than 44 million Americans voted for Democratic Senate candidates versus 33 million for Republican contenders as of 7 a.m. And yet it was the Republicans who controlled the Senate. The uh, federal German government of Hesse, the state secretary, tweeted an extraordinary electoral system. And we elected more than 100 women to the U.S. House of Representatives. I mean, that's a big deal. The first Democrat, I'm not sure she's the first Democratic woman to be governor of Kansas, but Chris Kobach got taken down. Louisiana voted to end allowing non-unanimous jury trials. This is from Jim Crow. 40% of all the black men in Florida just got their right to vote granted to them. About 10% of the state's population. Massachusetts got the first ever statewide victory for transgender protections. Don Donovan, who refused to indict the officer who choked Eric Garner to death when he was a prosecutor, he lost his seat to Democrat Max Rose. And, oh, and Los Angeles voted for a public bank. I mean, that's a big deal, right? I mean, there's just so much going on here. And then all these members of Congress who took all kinds of money from the, uh, from the payday lending industry. Dan Donovan in New York took uh, almost a million dollars from PB regulated industries. He lost. John Fazo took over 800,000. He lost. Randy Holgren took over 2 million from these industries. He lost. Leonard Nant, these are all Republicans. Leonard Lance uh, took over a million. He lost. Jason Lewis took a quarter million. He lost. Eric Paulson took 6 million from this industry. He lost. The Tom Hartman University Book Club, we're reading from Walking Your Blues Away, How to Heal the Mind and Create Emotional Well-Being from Chapter 1, How Trauma Sticks and the Mechanism of PTSD. One of the enduring mysteries in the field of psychology is why the same event produces such different memories and responses in different people. As the New York Times reported in a July 1st, 2004 article, one out of every six soldiers coming home from the war in Iraq is showing signs of emotional difficulties, particularly post-traumatic stress disorder. Citing a report in the New England Journal of Medicine, the writer noted the researchers surveyed more than 6,000 soldiers in the month before and after service in Iraq and Afghanistan. Almost 17% of those who fought in Iraq reported symptoms of major depression, severe anxiety, or post-traumatic stress disorder, compared with 11% of the troops who served in Afghanistan. In World War II, post-war depression and anxiety was called battle fatigue. In World War I, we called it shell shock. The question isn't so much why it happens. We know GIs in war do and see horrific things. The question that perplexes us is why post-war anxiety and depression haunts some veterans and not others. Of course, some vets see harder combat than others, but even that doesn't account for the statistics. There are still huge variations among individual soldiers in how they respond to the same event. The same is true in the civilian world. Some people develop PTSD and others don't, facing the exact same circumstances. In order to understand why some people are still shocked months and even years after a traumatic event, it's necessary to first understand how the brain and mind processes trauma. The brain is a complex collection of, collection of deeply interconnected parts and processes. I'm vastly oversimplifying here for the purpose of description. And in light of those caveats, here's a possible scenario that's not inconsistent with much of what's known about brain function. There's a part of the limbic brain, or visceral brain, called the hippocampus that's believed to function as a one-day scratch pad for memory. Everything you experience throughout the day is stored in the hippocampus. In order for the impressions of the experience to become a long-term memory, they must pass through the hippocampus into the rest of the brain. People with a damaged hippocampus remember past events but have extreme difficulty learning new things. Although the rest of the brain is able to integrate recent information from the hippocampus in relation to stored memories, in order to understand that one thing happened a week ago and another thing happened a month ago, the hippocampus knows only one time, today. During the night as we sleep, the hippocampus dumps its information from the day into the rest of the brain for processing, sorting, storing, and disposing of irrelevant information. As the brain is processing the details of the day from the hippocampus, we experience what we call dreaming. Many sleep researchers are convinced that when we experience REM sleep, most of the events, including the traumas of our daily life, are processed. The processing of information management completed. When we wake up in the morning, the hippocampus is once again empty and ready to record another day. The problem emerges when the hippocampus is carrying information that's too much or too hot for the larger brain slash mind to handle. When a recent memory is too strong to be easily and unremarkably processed, it presents in our dream world as a nightmare. 
If that still doesn't download the information from the hippocampus, then the trauma either becomes buried in the subconscious, a process Freud referred to as repression, or it gets thrown back into the hippocampus the next morning. It's as if the brain says, whoa, that's too much for me to process in one evening. Please hang on to it for another day. When the person wakes up in the morning, the information is still there in the hippocampus, still remembered and known and felt as if it happened that same very day. The conjecture that the hippocampus knows little about the more distant past accounts for the unique feature of true PTSD that the person feels every day as if the past event happened today, or at least in the very recent past. The trauma is always front, center, new, fresh, and raw. The consequences can be psychologically and emotionally devastating. Every day is affected by a past event. The traumatic event never passes from now until then and is never processed and filed away in the memory banks where it loses the power to cause pain and problems on a daily basis. The impact of this on the mind and the emotions is staggering. Brain scans even demonstrate that before a PTSD event has been processed, the amygdala, a part of the brain responsible for strong emotional states, such as those involved with survival or the perception of a threat to survival, and the hippocampus are not functioning normally. The brain scan makes it possible to, in a way, see the effect of the stuck memory. After processing the memory, these parts of the brain usually return to normal functioning. One of the key concepts of many schools of psychology is that human beings are most functional when every part of the mind has access to all other parts. In particular, this functionality is a matter of having full access to positive resources, such as memories of times when we were successful in our undertakings and the good feelings we associate with those accomplishments. Working from this level of functionality, then, when we take on a new task, for example, we first remember times in the past when we attempted something similar and accomplished our goals. This functionality can be accessed in all endeavors, from embarking on a new love relationship to making your first public speaking engagement. Memories of past accomplishments and capabilities are stored in parts of the brain far from the amygdala and the hippocampus. The amygdala and hippocampus, part of our brain's most primary and primitive structures, lie deep in the brain. Thus, having a negative memory stuck deep in the hippocampus blocks the pain and fear associated with that memory from reaching and associating with positive memories and resource states, which are housed in more different, distant parts of the brain. So in other words, if we don't get these traumatic memories out of the hippocampus, then everything coming in gets filtered through that and blocked having access to resource states that can help and heal us. So the rest of the book is how to, how to get that stuff out of the hippocampus. The book is Walking Your Blues Away. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You are being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile and internet provider now that the Republicans have destroyed net neutrality. That's why I decided to take back my privacy by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Tom. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash T-H-O-M for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Tom to learn more. Tom Harmon here with you and Stephanie in Hatfield, Mass, listening on WHMP. Hey, Stephanie, what's up? Hey, Tom. Uh, first time caller, long time listener. Thank and I'm you. also a millennial who voted, so I'm super Good on you. That. Hey, bravo. <laughs> yeah, so I was just calling to say, you know, you're talking a lot about the structural reforms that we need to fight uh, Democrats voting more in the popular vote than Republicans. Also, I just wanted to highlight that some of those structural reforms that were passed five anti-gerrymandering ballot measures across the country. And it looks like pending Utah's confirmation that all five have passed. Yeah. They're in Michigan, Missouri has some of that, Colorado. So by 2022, we'll see some of that shift in having fairer, more competitive elections in those states. Yeah. And to a certain extent, it'll be based on the 2020 census. And that's still up in the air with Trump with his citizenship questions. But yeah, this is this is important stuff. And thank you, Stephanie, for pointing that out and for having that list of states at the tip of your tongue, um, because I, I didn't have it in front of me. And my, my apologies. Yeah, I volunteer for Represent Us. And so they oh, were helped great. instrumental in a little stacking a lot of those. So that's uh, represent.us. Uh, yes, correct. Yeah. Cool. Stephanie, thanks. Thanks for the call, for voting and for the information. I appreciate it. Great to hear from you.
Janet in Chenhassen, Minnesota. I really wanted to thank you for clearly stating the issues for us. I try to watch you every day. But the one issue that I'm still trying to grapple with is Republicans' main premise. And I boil it down to, I am rich, you are poor, too bad, too sad. Yeah. And I... I want to believe in a world that wants everyone to reach their potential. Is there any hope somewhere, somehow? Yeah, I think there's tremendous hope, Janet. And I've said before, I think that an economic crisis is probably the thing that's going to provoke this. But even without that, Americans are waking up. They're figuring out that the whole, the whole Republican scam is the reason why they have to suppress the vote, the reason why they have to scream about, you know, uh, secret Muslim terrorists coming along with a ragtag bunch of mostly women and children walking up, you know, toward our border to apply for asylum. The reason that they have to do this stuff is because if they simply came out and said, hey, we're the Republican Party, we're here for rich people and big corporations, they wouldn't get any votes. And so, you know, they pick off the Christians and they pick off the gun people and they pick off the, the terrified people and all that. But I think the people are on to their game. Janet, thank you for the call. When you note that 11 million more people voted for Democrats for the United States Senate than for Republicans, and that 3 million more people nationwide voted for Democrats for the House of Representatives, we're looking at a trend here. America is waking up. And as Fox sinks deeper and deeper into being the Donald Trump personality channel, you know, I think that they're even going to start losing viewers and listeners. People are just saying, you know, this is crazy. I'm over this. Mike in Spokane. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hi, Tom. I just want to thank you for everything you do. I learn a lot from you. I want to talk about the way we vote in America. I live in Washington State. We're a mail-in voting only state, and it works great. I mean, you yeah. don't have to worry about. It does here in Oregon, too. You guys uh, took the idea from us. Oh, okay. We did it about <laughs> five years not. earlier. I mean, I, I don't see why there isn't a bigger push nationally to go to something like this. Because I think it's because people just don't. Debacle and, yeah, they, they, they just, I think the reason why is because people don't realize how simple it is and how well it works. I think the reason why Washington State got it was because there's so much intercourse, you know, interaction between Washington and Oregon, particularly since Portland's Vancouver's of not huge, but it's a consequential population center. And it's right across the Columbia River from Portland. And, you know, those right. bridges are just a, you know, a slammed mess. And uh, right. because of that, and people in Washington state figured out that, hey, it's working pretty good in Oregon, you know, plus, you know, our radio stations throw a good signal into Washington. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I wouldn't surprise me to see California move in this direction in the next year or two. I think a lot of progressive, uh, a lot of Democrats states that have, you know, progressive governments will be moving in that direction. Mike, spot on. Thanks a lot for the call. Lawrence in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Hey, Lawrence, what's up? Hey, Tom, we need a Karl Rove on our side. I agree. I watched Donald Trump dominate the national news with these rallies, and he was very successful at it. It did exactly what he wanted as far as swinging the Senate yeah. and some of the governor's races his way. We need somebody that is... Mr. Perez is, seems to be a nice enough man, but we need somebody that is an absolutely Machiavellian plotter and planner that can come up with a unified message that the Democrats can use. Yeah, I agree. And we need we need somebody like James Carville. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, Tom, as you said, Tom Perez is a nice guy, but he's just... Every time I get him on, in fact, you know, I get complaints from people about, oh, you had Tom Perez on, you know, but, you know, it's my opportunity to lobby him. So I get him on the show and I'm like, hey, what are you going to do about voting suppression? You know, and things like that. And, you know, and I hope that I can have an impact on the National Democratic Party by essentially lobbying him when he comes on the show, which may cause him to not come on anymore, which is fine because I basically don't do a guest driven show anyway. But Lawrence, last night, Michael Moore said something that I thought was fascinating. He was on a panel, I guess it was on MSNBC, it might have been on, uh, on Free Speech TV on Democracy Now. I forget which show he was on, but he said that you will not be able to beat Donald Trump two years from now in 2020 with a politician, that none of the people who are talked about in the Democratic field who are politicians can win, that you need a reality TV star. You need a nationally known name. Like Lavinati or somebody like that? No, like Oprah, you know, only he didn't say Oprah, no. but, you know, that level of star power, you know, and that it has to be somebody who is who has up to this point been seen as really a national treasure rather than a, a political figure. 
And I have no idea who that would be. Oprah's already ruled herself out. But I've been scratching my head on that ever since he said it. I think, though, that Beto O'Rourke, for example, is a politician who became a national kind of rock star. So I think it's possible, and so is Barack Obama, actually. I think it's possible that it could come out of the political class. But something to put in your thinking cap. Next time you call in, Lawrence, maybe if you have an idea, share it with us, okay? Will do. Okay. Marta in Big Bear Lake, California, listening on KPFK. Hey, Marta, what's up? Well, I'm willing to consider your uh, position that we don't have a circular firing squad. I think, though, that we need the carrot and the stick because uh, if we don't take immediate, fundamental action on a Green New Deal, transforming our energy system away from fossil fuels, what is the future of you know, our species. Yeah. And how can we take this on if we're not willing to to really criticize them and hold their feet to the fire? The second issue that uh, I think is really not prioritized is uh, getting away from the permanent war economy. Yeah. We are, how much are we spending on the military budget that the, you know, Democrats keep voting for these huge increases well, not and all yet. the Democrats vote for them, Marta, although, and frankly, they were able to pass the last one with, I don't know how many Democrats voted for it, but they didn't need any Democratic votes. But with regard to the changes in the Democratic Party, I absolutely agree. We needed a Green New Deal, and it needs to be a top priority for Congress. The Democrats have to be looking at what happened last night. The conservative Dems, like Claire McCaskill and Heidi Heidkamp, Democrats who tried to like do protective coloration, you know, blend in, you know, oh, yeah, I'm sort of like a Republican. You can vote for me. They lost. They just, they just lost. I mean, you know, Joe Manchin, his main advertisement was shooting a gun at the, as I recall, at the legislation that the guy he was running against proposed to blow up your right to have your health care covering pre-existing conditions, which is a pretty progressive thing. And, and the progressives, a broad consensus, if Beto O'Rourke and Andrew Gillum had not been as progressive as they were, they would not have gotten close to the vote that they got. And I think this is a real come-to-Jesus moment for the Democratic Party. I sure hope so, anyway. Vi in Donovan, Missouri. Am I saying it right, Vi? Yeah, you sure are. Uh, Good afternoon. I live in a sparsely populated uh, rural area. Uh, But uh, the election judge, you said that voting had been uh, steady all day, and that's always a good sign. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's hope we can get our... uh, ship of state uprighted a little bit with this uh, election, or at least maybe started back to that direction. Amen. I'm feeling optimistic. Yeah, and time to toss some of the garbage on the garbage scow. <laughs> you <laughs> bet. Like, you let bet. it float off into the, into the, into the horizon or whatever. I, you know, it's yes. not to, not to yes. use a pollution metaphor, but... So, uh, so your experience of voting was it, was... it was positive, but it always is, because I live in a, a sparsely populated white rural area. Right. You know, there's no, there's no uh, waiting. Yeah. And Although, you know, the, the people who live in Dodge City, that's a sparsely populated... Oh, I know. But they, it's mostly they, Hispanic, and so they move... The only place that can vote is like a mile out of town. There's no bus service there. Yep. Because the because once the city became more than fifty percent Hispanic, the uh, the white power structure that controls the city decided we can't let these people vote. Are you kidding? Right. Yeah, right. it's amazing. Right. But, I think that uh, I think that uh, some uh, that's criminal. That yeah. is really a suppression of the vote. The Voting Rights Act needs to be uh, reconstituted. Uh, it does, because the Supreme Court guided the last one, and, and Congress needs to assert their authority again. Vi, i got to move along, but thank you for the call. Uh, great to hear from you. Morris in Long Beach, listening on KPFK. Hey, Morris, what's up? Yeah, Professor, I uh, don't know. I'm, I'm going to check in with you. Uh, I was thinking, if the Democrats had not taken back the House of Representatives, is it true that the Mueller report would not have seen the day of night? It's an, it's extremely possible. It's very possible. Yes. That's more important to me than anything else that's going to take uh, this man down. I just want to know if that report was going to be given some credibility, legitimacy, or if it was just going to be pushed by the wayside like toilet tissue. Yeah. But uh, you've answered my question. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, and and especially now with uh, Adam Schiff in charge of uh, of uh, intelligence and with um, Elijah Cummings in charge of oversight. 
uh, you know, these guys are all over what Mueller is up to. I mean, they, they are going, to, the, the, I, I believe that this is going to take down Trump. My hope is it takes down Pence as well. And if it takes down both of them, if they both get impeached, which is extremely unlikely, right? I mean, it's just like fantasy. But if they get both got impeached, guess who becomes president? Nancy Pelosi. Sabrina in McKinney, Texas. Hey, Sabrina, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's up? Hey, Tom, I love your show. I watch it every single day. Even Thank you. at work, I'm able to do that. So my question is, we can do everything, absolutely everything on computer. And while I was voting yesterday, I realized we have no paper trail, no method of a paper trail. Mm. And it's so stupid on our parts because the bottom line is we should be able to vote and have, a, have it registered someplace for every state, you know, and, and, and they should be able to pull up the numbers. But I think this whole thing is rigged in the first place. It's all rigged. Yeah. It's a game being played. They have an agenda. They put some crazy person or so-called crazy person in there to carry out their agenda. And we're just like, you know, sitting ducks. Just going for going for what certainly in Texas, you know, with face. with Greg Abbott and the Republicans running your state. That's very much the case, which is right. why I wish Beto had not conceded, because I want to know how many provisional ballots were cast in Texas. How many people showed up to vote thinking that they were registered to vote and discovered that Greg Abbott had thrown them off the voting rolls? Well, I got out of the hospital yesterday, and I had an aneurysm, and Ouch. I got out of my sick bed to go vote, making sure I voted for a veto. Good on you, and Sabrina. And when I found out he didn't win, I was just, you know, just really kind of, you know, feeling bad today. But at least I, I made the effort. But there should be some kind of way we could we could be able to, you know, see how our, you know, who voted and, you know, the numbers. Yeah. And we sit up and we go for this every single time. Yep. Every district, they do everything to lie and cheat. Well, and basically what they do is, is they, they carve the electorate up so that it becomes 50-50, and then they dump millions of dollars in really screwy negative ads at the last minute to push themselves over the top so it looks like they actually won based on the advertising. But it shouldn't have been 50-50 from the get-go because they purged so many voters, Sabrina. You know, we'll see where it goes. I, I hope that Beto brings this issue up, but he may, uh, Sabrina, thank you for the call. It may be that he's trying so hard not to be a, quote, sore loser. That seems to be a tag that they put on you. I'm guessing in two years he's going to be running for the Senate again when, when John Cornyn's seat comes up because it looks like Cornyn's not going to run for re-election. Uh, or maybe even for governor, who knows? But this guy has a political future in Texas, I'm telling you. Maybe nation nationwide. I've never endorsed a weight loss product before Riduzone. Why Riduzone? I've seen firsthand how well it worked for my wife. With the wedding coming up, Louise wanted to lose a little weight. She read about university research and how one molecule helps regulate appetite. Riduzone is designed to boost levels of that one molecule, along with your metabolism, so you stop craving the wrong foods and you burn calories faster. Once her appetite and cravings were under control, she said losing weight was easy. She has more energy on her hikes and she looks amazing. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough and you want to lose the weight you've been struggling to lose, get non-prescription, FDA-accepted Riduzone. While supplies last, use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive 30% off, plus free shipping. Go to tryriduzone.com. That's T-R-Y, try, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com. Tryriduzone.com. Use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive 30% off, plus free shipping. TryRiduZone.com. That's T-R-Y, try, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com. TryRiduZone.com. Promo code TOM. Tom Harmon here with you. By the way, I watched much of the election coverage last night on Democracy Now! on Free Speech TV, and I was so impressed. Amy Goodman had this incredible panel. Ralph Nader was on, and Jeremy Scahill, and I'm just, I'm sorry, from memory. <laughs> it's, so anyhow, I've gone through some of the highlights on my list. I'm curious what the highlights on your list are. What are the things that you're most excited about? Who, who are you really happy one? What do you think should be happening next. Kim Davis, by the way, the woman who refused to give marriage licenses to gay couples, she not only lost her seat, but she lost it to one of the gay people who she refused to give a license to. I mean, it doesn't get more, more uh, satisfying, shall we say, than that. Uh, Omar in Herndon, Virginia. Hey, Omar, what's on your mind today? Tom, I'm really feeling good today. Thanks for taking my call. Um, what I wanted to say yesterday, I voted, and in Virginia, we don't use the machine anymore. We use the paper ballot, mm -hmm. and I really felt that my vote really counted. 
you know, having that paper there and, and, and not knowing about people hacking in and changing your vote. Yeah. So I think we should make it nationwide. And, and, and what I wanted really to say is that this is really a victory because if you look at even in the Senate, I don't think Rudy lost. You know, if you look at Dakota, the reason why a Republican won there is because the, the most of the Navy Indians will, de- will deny the right to vote. You know, if they don't have an Are you talking about Heidi Heitkamp? can't vote. Yes, yes. You know, and and yeah. and if if you look at all all across the country, this is a victory for us. And now the the real work starts, and we need to issue, we need to start talking about kitchen sink issue. And in the background, we need to impeach Trump and his entire uh, cabinet. That yeah. should be our next step. And we need to have what we call an equivalent of a contract over the America. Talk about the issue. This is what we're going to do for the common man, and this is what we're going to do for the people of the United States. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Omar, thank you. Very well said, and I'm, I'm, I'm completely with you. Try Jeremy in Picayune, Mississippi. Hey, Jeremy, what's up? How you doing, sir? Um, yeah, I really respect your show. I, I uh, remember uh, it was probably a few months ago, if not longer, that um, Mr. Uh, McPherson, Guy McPherson, was on your show, and you were talking to him about some certain, certain things, the environment and climate change. Now, Trump denies all this stuff going on. So what, what do you think? Do you, do you think, like, maybe the uh, Democrats coming in, maybe they'll try to push towards some kind of... There's no maybe about kind of it. Remediation There's no maybe about or... it. The, the Democrats get what a screaming emergency this is. We're, you know, the U.N. has said we've got 12 years to make really genuine, radical, meaningful changes. And I think even that's optimistic, frankly. The Democrats get it. And increasingly, there are Republicans who will privately concede that they get it, but they know that if they say it out loud, the Koch brothers will take them down, or the fossil fuel industry will take them down. And they're scared to death. Today, we're reading from Birthright Citizens, a history of race and rights in antebellum America by Martha S. Jones. In the introduction, Rights of Colored Men, Debating Citizenship in Antebellum America is the title of the introduction. The title of William Yeats' 1838 treatise, Rights of Colored Men, aptly captures the subject of this book. The 19th century Americans for whom Yeats wrote were fascinated by a juridical puzzle. Not slaves, nor aliens, nor the equals of free white men, who were former slaves and their descendants before the law. None were more interested in this question than black Americans themselves, and birthright citizens takes up their point of view to tell the history of race and rights in the antebellum United States. The pressures brought on by so-called black laws and colonization schemes, especially a radical strain, explain why free people of color feared their forced removal from the United States. In response, they claimed an unassailable belonging, one grounded in birthright citizenship. No legal text expressly provided for such, but their ideas anticipated the terms of the 14th Amendment. Set in Baltimore, a place between North, South, and the Atlantic world, this book traces the scenes and the debates through which black Americans developed ideas about citizenship and claims to the rights that citizens enjoyed. Along the way, they engaged with legislators, judges, and laws, everyday administrators. From the court, local courthouse to the chambers of high courts, the rights of colored men came to define citizenship for the nation as a whole. Yates authored, authored the very first legal treatise on the rights of free black Americans. It was 1838 when Rights of Colored Men to Suffrage, Citizenship, and Trial by Jury was published in Philadelphia. He was not one of antebellum America's highly regarded legal minds. Some say he read law for a time, although there's no evidence that he was admitted to the bar. Instead, Yates' career began with a short-lived stint as a newspaper publisher in his hometown of Troy, New York. His bona fides on the subject of race and citizenship were best established during his years as an agent for the American Anti-Slavery Society. While many abolitionists maintained a self-conscious distance from free black communities, Yates centered his work there. The opposition of free people, excuse me, the oppression of free people of color was a companion to slavery in Yates's view, with anti-slavery work necessarily extending into questions of free people's status. Penning rights of colored men was the pinnacle of this mission. Yates placed a powerful instrument of authority in the hands of free African Americans and their allies. The antebellum legal treatise was a key tool in the standardization and dissemination of legal knowledge and was typically devoted to the comprehensive synthesis of a single branch of law. By the late 1830s, Yates was following on the success of James Kent's commentaries in Joseph Story's treatise series. 
The genre had come to be associated with the concepts of law, <clears throat> excuse me, as scientific knowledge, legal education as systemic, and the profession as respectable. Yeats successfully adopted legal culture's own tool to such a degree that readers from the 19th century until today have regarded him as an authority on free black legal status. But Yeats's text was, was also a work of advocacy. Rights of colored men received prominent notices in the black and abolitionist press and could be purchased at local anti-slavery society offices. As a result, the work served as a probing legal treatise that fueled uh, activist arguments. Yeats provides a window in the, into the position that some activists, black and white, took on race and citizenship in the end of the 1830s. Law was an instrument of change, and Yeats Fort rightfully explained his objective to undermine prejudice against color. Racism had led to legal disability, exclusion from militia service, naturalization, suffrage, public school, schooling, ownership of real property, office holding, and courtroom testimony. Yeats was especially unsettled by the disenfranchisement of free black men in New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, and more recently Pennsylvania. Assembling evidence from legal culture, he believed, would help establish the rights and citizenship of free black people. Yeats began with a story of the nation's origin. <clears throat> the establishment of the United States, he said, had been at the outset a revolutionary, republican, and un an enlightened undertaking that was untainted by racism or distinctions among and between races. This had been possible in the wake of the American Revolution because the founding generation knew firsthand the contributions black people had made to independence through military service and through labor. American law had originally been colorblind as evidenced by the absence of racial distinctions in founding documents such as the federal and state constitutions. Change came in the early 19th century at the fault line between generations. A forgetting occurred, Yates posited. Lawmakers of the early republic did not know how black people had contributed to the nation's founding and hence were entitled to the privileges and immunities of citizens. In this sense, Yeats's aim was partly to restore that past to the nation's political and legal memory. To achieve this, he compiled a history of lawmakers and their deliberations in which he found the development of anti-black prejudice in courts, constitutional conventions, and legislatures. He followed the professional lives of men whose work included roles from low-level administrator to convention delegate and judge. Their ideas about free black people moved with them. Most powerful was Yeats's argument about how law, through suffering from amnesia, could be made right. The book, Birthright Citizens, A History of Race and Rights in Antebellum America. Imagine the panic that swept over this dad. He was working late when he got an alert on his smartphone. His Blink motion-activated security camera picked up something. He opens the Blink app and views a video clip of a man peering through his kitchen window. He calls 911 and alerts his wife. Preventing situations like this is what Blink is all about. The point of having a home security system is to help alert you before some creep breaks into your home, not after. Blink motion-activated HD cameras are wire-free, set up in minutes, and run on batteries that last up to two years. And Blink's live feed option lets you monitor what's happening at home anytime, anywhere from your smartphone. No contracts, no subscriptions, and Blink even works with Alexa. Here's the deal. Get your Blink camera system starting at less than $100. No contracts or subscriptions. Visit BlinkProtect.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M, for details. BlinkProtect.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. BlinkProtect.com slash Tom. Blink is an Amazon company. Tom Harmon here with you. Joanne Boyer uh, tweets, add this to your list that we're excited to screaming about. No more Scott Walker, a small step in the recovery road for Wisconsin. Yeah, there you go. Good on you, Joanne. So Debbie in Bellevue, Washington. Hey, Debbie, what's on your mind? Hi. First of all, I want to echo so long, Scott Walker. Glad yeah. to see that he's finally a declared loser in more ways than one. Also very excited about Kim Schreier. Looks like she's the winner in the 8th Congressional District. Um, in in, what, in uh, Washington State? Washington. Uh -huh. Washington State. And so that's the first time a Democrat has won the 8th District. And she's a woman pediatrician. Very, very good wow. candidate that ran on health care. Um, so that's very exciting, and it's frustrating that nobody's talking about that. Yeah. Um, in fact, the whole West Coast, I feel like we're invisible right now because the national media just 
isn't talking about is once they got their buzz election elements covered, they don't care about what's happening on the West Coast. It's very frustrating. The Democrats said, I mean, this this kind of came down from on high to the extent that there is an on high in the Democratic Party, that health care was the number one issue Americans cared about. We should all run on it. And that became the core message of the vast majority of Democratic candidates. And I think that that's one of the reasons that they won, just like, you know, with yeah. Kim Schreier. And she did great. She's an excellent candidate. She knows what she's talking about too, because she's worked in the medical field. Mm-hmm. But but the one thing I wanted to add to this is Trump is, is holding a press conference right now, and he's painting the Democrats into a corner saying, we can cooperate, and we can get things done with the environment and infrastructure, yada, yada, right. as long as you don't investigate me. And if you investigate me, then we're not going to be able to get anything done, and it's just going to be gridlock. So right. he's, of course, turning the tables like he always does. He's a master at this, already making the Democrats sound like we're going to be the bad guys. Yeah, I have a feeling Nancy Pelosi's sitting there going, yeah, 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 quack, quack, quack. You know, she's, (laughs) you know, Democrats are going to do what they're going to do. They are, they are definitely going to investigate him. Uh, I, I'm skeptical that there's going to be much of an appetite for impeachment, but we'll see what Mueller comes up with. I mean, if, if Mueller's evidence is as vivid as Cox's evidence that was about Nixon, even Republicans, I mean, it was Barry Goldwater, who called Richard Nixon or went over to the White House and sat down with Richard Nixon and said, you, sir, are going to be impeached if you don't resign. If the evidence is so vivid that Mitch McConnell ends up sitting down with Donald Trump and saying, sorry, buddy, but half the Republican caucus is going to vote for your impeachment. At that point, you know, in all probability, Trump will pull a Nixon and simply resign. And then Pence will give him a blanket pardon so that he can avoid all, all the prosecutions and probably all the members of his family as well since they all have official positions. And I think Don Jr. is gonna be the one in the, in the main crosshairs. But the, the other stuff, I mean, the, the legislative stuff, the legislators are representing their states and their districts and they wanna get things done and they do wanna get roads and bridges and they also wanna investigate the president. So, Debbie, I need to move well, along. Hope springs eternal. There you go, amen, thank you for the call. Susie in Vaughn, Washington. Hey, Susie, what's up? Hey, thank you. I just wanted to say um, that I personally am super energized about what happened last night, and we should show no complacency at all and hit the ground running, because that's what they're going to do. They're hitting the ground running. If they're ugly, I want to be a pit bull on a bone. So they (laughs) got a lot of, you know, running into folks here. I'm not giving up easy. And then did you also happen to mention that neat thing in Florida? I missed that part. If you mentioned what, um, with the felons being able to vote next time? Yes, I did. Uh, 10% of the state's population. Population will now be available to vote. Forty percent of all black men in the state. Story. Yeah, such a beautiful story. So anyhow, thank you, and and uh, that's our mantra: no complacency. There you that's go. It. Amen. <laughs> thank you, Susie. The thing in Florida, by the way, and and in Michigan. I mean, in Michigan, redistricting without partisan rules overwhelmingly won. In Florida, it was restore the voting rights to felons overwhelmingly won. When you look at individual issues, the people know what's going on. The problem is, you know, I, I, I watched a couple of hours of network television last night and a couple of hours of free speech TV's uh, the Democracy Now! coverage. I was kind of going back and forth. And on the network television, they, they just never talk about issues. It's all about personalities. Do people like him? Do people not like him? Is he up? Is he down? It's horse race. And so I think a lot of people just don't even know the positions that the Republicans that they're voting for are taking. Their only source are ads. And the ads, of course, are generally very, very deceptive, particularly, at least on the Republican side. I, I don't know if there are deceptive ads on the Democratic side. Uh, if so, I have not yet seen one. Rocco in Rosendale, New York. Hey, Rocco, what's up? Well, you were talking about the deceptive ads. Um, yeah, had deceptive ads here in the New York 19th where Antonio Delgado won over John Faso. Uh, Faso has been portraying Delgado as a rapper from the West Coast and this and that and Really racially charged um, ads. Right, and isn't isn't this guy like some some kind of Rhodes Scholar and and ex-military? Yes, no, well, he's a Rhodes Scholar and a lawyer, Uh Um, and and, uh, we're just so proud that he, that through the efforts of a lot of people here in the Hudson Valley, uh, we finally have somebody who can possibly come up to the level of what, what Maurice Hinchy was when he represented us. Right. Um, oh, that was years ago. And, and not just that, but um, we got a twofer because in my little 42nd uh, state district, 
city our former town council person won Senate, which has been held by a, a Republican for, oh, gee, as long as I can remember, and I've been mm. here 35 years. That's great. That's great. So um, we got to keep the fight going, and uh, it's just keeping the fight going. It's Amen. And, and keep in mind, in two years, I mean, two years from this week, there's going to be another election for the Senate, only this time the majority of the senators up for election or re-election will be Republicans rather than Democrats. And again, remember, Republicans lost the Senate yesterday by 11 million votes, except that they didn't lose the Senate. They maintained control of it. But 11 million more Americans voted for Democrats for the U.S. Senate than voted for Republicans. Um, if those numbers are replicated two years from now, if we can get that kind of turnout two years from now, same deal. Uh, and only this time, instead of a whole bunch of vulnerable Democrats being on the ticket, it's going to be a whole bunch of vulnerable Republicans. I think the blue wave could be in two years, the real blue wave. Rocco, thanks a lot for the call. Always nice to hear from you. James in Urbana, Illinois. Hey, James, what's up? Uh, good day, Tom. I uh, just wanted to mention about the happening in the state of Illinois. Turns out that uh, Mr. Rauner uh, got himself uh, booted out. That's of right. Pritzker beat him. Yep. Uh, he also took down pretty much all, the entirety of the Republicans, at least to the state offices. Uh, unfortunately, oh, Rodney Davis, who's my representative in Congress, is still uh, fighting. Uh, he's, I think he's up by about a couple thousand, but uh, I know uh, Betsy Londrigan has not uh, conceded yet. Right. So, and step by step. I'm, I'm, yeah, step by step. Uh, and I do know a couple of the other Illinois delegates, at least for, the, for Congress, uh, flipped uh, from red to blue, so I'm happy for that. Yeah. But just got to keep, keep the fight up in here, at least for uh, here in the uh, central Illinois, and, uh, you know, march on, I guess. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I mean, that's, that's what we have to do. James, thank you for the call. As progressive as I am and the, the progressive positions I take and the progressive candidates that I embrace constantly, I understand the old, I don't know, remember if it was yellow dog or blue dog, uh, uh, Democrat. The statement was, I would vote for a yellow dog before I'd vote for a Republican, right? Or blue dog, whichever it was. And, and uh, I can't keep my yellow dog, blue Democrats, my blue dog, Democrats straight. But that's the thing. I mean, you know, Nancy Pelosi is going to be Speaker of the House. And, it, and, and all of these uh, really high quality Democrats are going to be committee chair people. And that's a big deal. And yeah, there's some conservatives in there that made that happen. Okay, you know, I've over time, I'd like to flip those seats progressive, but you know, we don't need a circular firing squad right now, and we don't need it for the next two years. We we need to get Democrats into power so that they can address these structural uh, inequalities, these structural uh, obstacles, basically, to Democrats having, you know, even though they get the majority of votes, right, three million more votes on the House side, eleven million more votes on the Senate side, and and uh, you know. We've, we've got to fix this stuff. Nevin in Boca Raton, Florida. Hey, Nevin, what's up? Yeah, um, I was a Trump voter. I've spoken to you once before, and I flipped, and I voted straight down the line uh, Democrat and for every single populist ballot initiative. Good on you, Nevin. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm at heart a civic nationalist and a strong populist, and incredibly white hot angry with trump and virtually the entire republican party uh but you know i want to mention this that one way my firm belief is one way that the progressive populists and civic nationalists within the progressive movement can the democrats can win votes in republican districts outside of the major cities the rural districts working class districts is to demonstrate specifically and quantifiably how so-called progressive policies can actually serve conservative ends and conservative goals like strengthening the families and then throw that back in the Republicans and say you're a bunch of hypocrites because you're for supposedly stronger families, but yet you support an economic system that has destroyed families for decades through union yeah. busting and free trade and the rest of it. Yep. And I wanted to get that out there. If they make that probably a single issue, 
Yep. They will destroy Trump and the Republicans. I think you're absolutely right. I, I don't think this is going to end well politically for Donald Trump and probably legally as well. And particularly for Donald Jr. It looks like Don Jr. has committed a whole bunch of felonies. And I'm not sure that daddy can pardon him. Uh, I mean, I, legally he can, but we'll see where it all goes. Nevin, thanks a lot for the call. And it's always great to hear from you. And welcome back. We are going to talk media news. Alan Ratner, Tom, is on his way to the airport right now. So with talk media news, it's Ellen Ratner, and it's brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Ellen's new book, Loving What You Do. Ellen, welcome well, to the program. Thank you so much. Well, listen, I have news for you. Apparently, according to the rumor, Mr. Trump, the President of the United States, was told by Speaker Ryan, who's no longer going to be Speaker after this, uh, oh, darn. he should really focus on what was going to go happen, uh, not in terms of uh, what was going on with immigration, but on the economy. And did he do that? No. He's still focused on immigration. So, of course, Donald Trump thinks he knows best. Now, the Democrats put out a fact sheet today, and they said at least 32 Trump-backed candidates did not win last night. And that what they actually thought was going to be a win was that Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio turned out not to be. Of course, Sherrod Brown won hands down in Ohio. And it was very interesting. I saw him on State of the Union night and he said, Alan, you got this guy who's my cousin by marriage. Fortunately, he's not a blood cousin <laughs> uh, to drop out. And I said, yes, I did. <laughs> and actually, we took a full page ad, which went viral in the Cleveland Jewish News. And when he was running against Sherrod Brown the last election six years ago. Well done. Wow. Very good. What else is going uh, on, Ellen? It even went to London, somebody sent to me. Okay. <laughs> so now um, we have some recounts going on in Florida and Georgia. Bill Nelson, he conceded last night, but now he's asking for a recount. This would be against Governor Rick Scott for the Senate seat. Also, Stacey Abrams, and of course, there were huge lines. They didn't bring extension cords, etc. She said that she's not going to concede until the recount is completed. So that is very interesting. Now, also, there is the McSally uh, Cinema Race. Now, uh, interesting, Martha McSally went to the Air Force Academy. She was the class behind my partner. That's in Arizona, um, right? That's Arizona, okay. but she, they said the race is still too close to call. Now, Tester was going against Rosendale, uh, who is the Republican, Tester's the Democrat. They also said that this race was too close to call, but it's just been called for Tester. Excellent. Okay. Any chance that uh, Beto O'Rourke might decide to ask for a recount, or is that just a well, done deal? Well, I have no idea what Beto O'Rourke is going to do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we just don't know. I mean, he put, uh, you know, the Democrats wanted money back from him, and he said, no, I think I can win. Well, he may not have won Texas, but he did an excellent job, and he showed did, he showed very, very well mm -hmm. yesterday, so that's very good. Also, Jackie Rosen won off, uh, over Senator Dean Heller in Nevada. As you know, Jackie wrote, Rosen did not think she was going to win, but she won almost by five points. Wow, that's good news. It's really good news. And um, it looks like Dana Rohrbacker, who is going after his 16th term, that would be 32 years, the race is still too close to call, and his opponent obviously is in there and is not saying anything. Now, on terms of ballot questions, this is very interesting. More than a million people, maybe a million and a half people in Florida can now vote. They're former felons, but they can now vote in Florida, and they're convinced that that is actually going to change things dramatically in Florida in 220. Also, Louisiana, as of the ballot vote yesterday, now requires juries to unanimously convict for all felony crimes. It can't be 8-4 kind of thing. It has to be unanimously, or they're not convicted. Excellent. Okay. Nevada uh, got rid of its tax uh, on tampoons and sanitary products. This was also known as the pink tax. Massachusetts had a very interesting question. It was question number one on the ballot. And what they wanted to do was to make nursing staffing uh, essentially the same at different places. I happen to be on the advisory board of McLean Hospital, which is a psychiatric hospital in Massachusetts. And they were very against one because they said that if 
it was implemented, and they have very good nursing and staffing requirements, but it, it was implemented, it was going to cost them an extra million dollars a year. And when people found out about the cost, that's why it went down, actually. It failed 70 to 30 percent. Wow. Now, also, Utah, of all places, Utah, very known as, as Mormon state, they passed medical marijuana. So that is very interesting. Oh, that's excellent. And Nebraska, Idaho, and Utah extended Medicaid. Wonderful news. Mitt Romney won in Utah as well, right? Right. Now, yeah. you know what's interesting about Mitt Romney is his niece, who is Romney's granddaughter from Michigan in the olden days, she is head of the Republican National Committee. Oh, and she interesting. went to Brigham Young University, so I'm sure she's Mormon like mm-hmm. the rest of the family. Mm-hmm. So also, Jared Polis became the first openly gay governor in Colorado, so that is very That's good big news. news. Yep. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who's the press secretary, said Democrats shouldn't waste time investigating. Uh, they should focus on what the people put them there to do. Uh, and uh, that's, uh, that's what the RNC, uh, uh, and then the RNC, sorry, the chair said today, grassroots enthusiasm for President Trump, who did more than any other president in history to support Republican candidates and the Republicans' parties, ex- uh, expensive get-out-the-vote operation, turned the forecasted Democratic tsunami into a ripple. So that is the news. What do you think about all that? I think that's excellent, and I think we did a lot better than we could have, and it's just important now to keep going forward. Pay attention to 220 now, which will happen before we know it. No kidding, just like 2018 did. All right, Ellen, you thank you it. so much. We appreciate you thank doing you. the news, talk media news, goatsfortheoldgoat.com, and Ellen's book, Loving What You Do. Speaking of which... Loving what we do here, too. Just make sure that we don't give up too soon. Stay active. No going camping just because the election's over. Tomorrow's a new day, and we just got to start all over again. Like Ellen said, 2020 will be here before we know it. So on that note, get out there, get active. As Tom would say, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.